heart, soul, mind, and strength. These are the four dimensions of human health. This is where growth happens, and it's addicting. Welcome to the Growth Junkies Podcast. Welcome again to the Growth Junkies Podcast. It's Ben and Kent here, working through the book Mega Life, and uh, we have already completed up through day 11 and today we will start into day 12 as we're going through uh, our newest release and giving you added audio content and experience for the book uh, as you're reading through it and if you don't have a copy you can pick one up on Amazon very easy to do just search it there and you'll find uh, mega life how to live without fear and so today we're going to move in as I said into day 12 and uh, we're going to talk about a epidemic that was definitely present prior to the pandemic and continues to increase has been growing for some time. And that is the epidemic of loneliness. Mm -hmm. Uh, Most people, if you talk to them and and ask them if there's a loneliness epidemic in our culture, they're probably going to say no. But if they think about it long enough, who knows, maybe pertaining to their like own life or something like that, they may say yes. But if you look at it from a global scale, what do you think the perspectives would be? I think most people would say no. And yet it is a pervasive thing that is happening in our society and culture long before we ever faced uh, isolation at home, social distancing, all of those various things. Uh, We were already experiencing this. Well, and you know why they would say they don't know is because most people just being honest here are clueless. They (laughs) They don't pay attention to what's going on in the world. They don't really think about anybody else but their own issues. I mean, I'm not like bagging. I'm just being honest here, Uh we're really myopic people. You know what I mean? We tend to think about what we need and how we're doing and spend very little time thinking about what everybody else is thinking or experiencing. So if you're not feeling lonely, the world's not lonely. Well, and you're actually highlighting a quality or characteristic that contributes to the epidemic of loneliness. If you go out and do any research or reading of articles around this issue, you just focused on individualism. Mm-hmm. We tend to focus on ourselves, mm-hmm. think about ourselves. And the fact is, when we do that, it perpetuates loneliness in our life. Yeah. Uh, this didn't always used to be like it, this, though. Mm-hmm. It, it, there was periods of time in history where we were not lonely. Mm-hmm. And yet, right now, what we're facing is this kind of crisis or epidemic of loneliness. And what's gnarly about it is that we are more connected than ever. I mean, you you literally can reach across the world in, in seconds mm-hmm. through phone or internet or email. I mean, it's people are like in the boondocks out in Africa and they're emailing people. I mean, it's it's unbelievable. You could actually live like in a shanty somewhere in the world <laughs> and have internet. So the, the the reality is we're all connected to each other and we have everyone at our fingertips. And yet the crazy thing is that we're more lonely than ever before. So just because you can actually like connect with somebody digitally doesn't mean you connect with them relationally. Sure. So like Facebook friends, you know, people get really hung up on how many quote Facebook friends you have. So that sort of dictates how popular you are, how liked you are, follows on Twitter and you, you, you rank your worth, you know, and how liked you are by those. But we all would be honest to admit that just because you have 150 Facebook friends doesn't mean you have 150 real friends. Maybe a handful of them are actually friends. The other 145 are trying to sell you something, mm-hmm. right? So True. you don't really know. So the, the, in a digital age where we are more connected and interconnected than ever before, we are 
totally relationally disconnected. So the other day I was uh, with a friend and we were talking about music. And he asked me, he said, the two bands that I would want to see that are no longer playing live, if I had to pick two bands, which ones would they be? Mm. So I'm not going to answer the second one, but the first one was like no-brainer. Came out as soon as he asked, got done asking the question. And that was the band The Police. And oh, if you, yes. And if you remember, they had a really, really famous song titled So Lonely. Yeah. And the other night, I got in the truck with my middle son, and he, he became the DJ. And I go, just play something, right? And he had no idea that I had this conversation um, earlier that day with a friend of mine. And he throws on Police So Lonely. And it was just so, it's kind of funny to think about because that is a very catchy tune, really interesting, and highlights a transitionary period really in our history. You know, that band was super popular through 70s, 80s, 90s, into mm-hmm. the 2000s. And that's when that music was being created. And it was artists do what they do is they speak about what people go through. And I, mm-hmm. and I think that maybe it was a bit prophetic, the police. Well, I don't know. I don't want to go. Art imitates reality, right? <laughs> true. And I don't want to go mm-hmm. too far in suggesting anything. Right. But what we're, what we're seeking to do here is we want to we peel back the layers. Mm-hmm on loneliness a little bit as to how and why it's functioning, why it's important for growth junkies to understand how to mitigate loneliness in their lives mm-hmm. and the things that you can do to um, become less lonely if you feel like you are mm-hmm. and then also to prevent it. Yeah. And so can we begin with a couple distinctions? Like I feel like we need to make a couple yeah, distinctions. Great. Number one, um, there's a difference between, you know, being lonely and being alone. Right. And, and as a parent with three kids with constant chaos in my house, I crave alone time. <laughs> like I, alone is good. Like I'm happy to be alone. I need alone time. What we're talking about here and the problem is not aloneness. I mean, right. being alone is not bad. Some people love being alone. So this is not a personality thing. Like extroverts, you know, are the ones who are really lonely and introverts are never lonely. No, here's the thing. You could also be in a crowded room of people. We know this and be very lonely. Yeah. Loneliness is like a state of being. It's, it's, it's a place you find yourself, whether you're with people or without people. There's a sense of seclusion and isolation you're experiencing. So loneliness and being alone are not the same thing. Mm-hmm. The other distinction that needs to be made is it's one thing to feel lonely. Everybody feels lonely. Everybody has moments. Everybody has times. Everybody has seasons where you feel lonely. That's part of the human experience because we crave relationship. Mm -hmm. But what we're talking about and where the real problem is, is a deeper kind of loneliness. It is is a sense of, and the word we use is isolation. You feel isolated from others. Not that you have moments or periods or days, whatever, of, of lonely feelings that come and go based on wherever you are at the time. This is a kind of an ongoing perpetual sense of isolation that I'm, I don't really know anybody and nobody really knows me. And I, I believe it was Johan Hari in his book, Lost Connections, that made a statement about loneliness and saying what drives loneliness is having nothing, mean, nothing meaningful to share with another person. Yeah. And so if that's true, then to become unlonely, if that's a word, mm-hmm. <laughs> would be to seek to develop meaningful connections with others. Yes. To find meaningful things to discuss and to engage in and to be a right. part of. So, so I thought, go ahead. Sorry, I was going to say, so when you're lonely or feeling lonely, um, you're, you don't, 
you're not in that deep, dark place of seclusion or isolation because even though you're feeling lonely, you know there's people you can call. Yeah. You know there's people that you can reach out to that will respond. So it's, it's more the awareness like I have someone to turn to. There's somebody that cares. So we use different terms like life team members, people that are you, know, you do life with. Uh-huh. You've got a group of people. You've got a tribe. You've got a community. But these are people that are there for you and you can call on any time of day, anywhere. And this, this is a real problem because you know research has told us, I think we shared this before, yeah. half of Americans, half of Americans don't have that. Yeah. They don't have anybody to call, anybody that they could say, help me if I'm in trouble. Right. And so for them, it's not just a feeling, but they're like, but I've got these people I can contact. But these are people that say, I'm feeling lonely and I got nowhere to go with it. On the flip side of how great is it when someone calls you and they're just yeah. checking on you? Oh, or they send you a text or something like that. And you realize (laughs) that there are people in your life that do that. And they think about you and your, their, your name comes across their mind and, Mm -hmm. and then they send a text or a call or whatever. And that is the kind of thing that is incredibly helpful to know that those, those people are in your camp. And, and knowing that, um, somebody out there is thinking about you. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, even just being aware, like, you know what, in my moments of feeling lonely, um, <clears throat> nevertheless, I have so-and-so. I've mm-hmm. got my friend. i got my family member. And I know that they check in on me every couple of weeks or whatever. And just knowing they're there and that I'm on their mind and they're aware of me mm-hmm. is huge. And so I feel badly. I feel deeply for the 50% of Americans who don't have that. Right. Their thing is like, I don't have nowhere to go if I'm in trouble. I have no one to call. I don't have a life team. Secondly, I'm not sure if anybody thinks about me. Like that's a really devastating sort of feeling. And I think that's the reality of the problem is that yes, half of the people in our country, Mm -hmm. not to mention around the world, don't think they have anybody who cares about them. It's it's a... Very sad condition to think about. And and eventually where we're going to end up in this podcast is talking about a mechanism or mechanism slash condition Mm -hmm. that works against loneliness Mm -hmm. and is helpful. Um, But also there's other research out there like the loneliness index that was done in 2017 uh, by UCLA and Cigna, Mm -hmm. a report that they went out to try to find out why one in six people were uh, filing for long-term mental health leave in companies, which is a big problem if you're an insurance company yeah. or a corporation. Oh, yeah. And what they discovered in this, though, but th- was the, the loneliest generation, though, was Gen X, the younger, not Gen X, the um, Gen Z, the youngest generation on the planet was the loneliest generation. See, that's like surprising, right? Four, 46.8% oh. of kids would say that they were lonely. See, that's crazy because you I would think it'd be like nursing homes, like like old older folks. And I'm sure it's there as well. It's everywhere. Yeah. But Gen Z, you know, the younger ones who feel the most and they're the most digitally connected by the way. Right. So there's these over and over again reports and statistics. Here's what I want to do. I found this article on Los Angeles Times about loneliness, um, an op-ed that is kind of interesting with some of the statistics, but mm. Uh, probably more interesting in the solutions that are given. <laughs> so first, this author says that um, loneliness damages our physical health because uh, we are hardwired to connect. Our bodies go into a state of high alert when we are lonely. So stress goes up. So stress hormones course through our veins. Our heart rate and our blood pressure go up. Loneliness is worse for us 
than not exercising or being obese as detrimental to our health as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Oh, seriously? That's insane. I don't wow. know where they got the data on this. Well, this I is mean, an op-ed and all, you know, but, but, but still, still, if, if it's even half case, of that, that's awful. So lonely workers are less motivated, less productive, more likely to quit. Researcher, research shows that people without a friend at work are seven times less likely to be engaged with their job uh, than those who feel that they have such a bond. Mm-hmm. Loneliness also can exact a price. And so uh, how people market to it. So this is the transition of this article. And so this person suggests mm-hmm. that uh, what we need to do to fix the loneliness, because like we can't not fix it. So, so the suggestion is to create a loneliness economy. So oh. an economy that's built around curing loneliness. Goods and services designed to alleviate loneliness and deliver connection. Wow. <laughs> so hold on. A, hold your pants, Ken. I'm holding on. A couple of examples that this, that this person actually um, took on a few months uh, before the world went into the pandemic. This person engaged with uh, renting an, an above-board companion for $120 for an afternoon. Platonic from a, friend? From a website. <laughs> yeah, with more than 600,000 friends for hire. So for three hours in downtown Manhattan, they drank matcha tea, shopped for sunglasses, and browsed their favorite bookstores and laughed. And the gal laughed willingly at her jokes. So rent a friend is what it is. Like this is the kind of economy. I'll pay you to be my friend. Okay, it gets better. Okay, you ready? Oh, no. Yeah. So then after that, she was on the West Coast and decided to pay for another interaction experiment, she called it, in Venice. And she hired... A professional cuddler. Oh, I've heard about this. <laughs> Gross, man. <laughs> and so during their hour-long session, they had time to chat, her arms encircling her from the back, and she told me that business was booming. Yeah, yeah. I saw some news story on that. It was creepy. Creepy. First of all, that's like re- that's like worse than massage parlor. I mean, <laughs> you can you it just feels so weird to me to have a stranger cuddle you. So that tells you how desperate people are, Ben. Well, they will pay for friends. They'll pay for cuddling because that's a, like a cry for help. No one will do it voluntarily. I think it just highlights how sad it is yeah. that we just don't know how to form deep, significant, connected relationships, meaningful relationships mm-hmm. anymore because we're so, in many ways, focused on ourselves mm-hmm. and individualistic. Right. Literally playing out what culture and society has told us to do for the last 75 years. Mm-hmm. And it lands you where we are. And now people don't know how to build a relationship. Yeah. So we have to market it and make it an economy and commoditize it, right? Yeah. We commoditize around solving loneliness. And, and I would even say weaponize, you know, and here's uh, how. FOMO, fear of missing out. This concept's been around for a little while. It's a big deal. Why are we so afraid of missing out? Loneliness. Mm-hmm. Like, I need to be where the action is. I need to be with people. So organizations, material goods, services, experiences, market to you FOMO. Right. If you don't come to our event, if you don't buy our stuff, and you don't go here, and you don't do that, then you're missing out. And you're going to be lonely. 
So not only is it a recognition that it's being commoditized to try to sell relationship, it's being used against you to try to rob you, to rape you, to yeah. take from you. It kind of keep you in a state like that, right? So keep you, that you a victim. feel dissatisfied. Yeah. I think the 50% of people that are chronically lonely in our country, that's like money. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Kaching to all these marketing agencies that want to keep you in that state of loneliness. So you'll buy whatever goods they have to sell you yeah. or service that they want to offer you, including cuddling and friends for rent. And so clearly this author was was doing this as research and experimentation, probably mm-hmm. around the subject matter. Mm-hmm. Um, the author's name is actually Norena Hertz, and she wrote a book called The Loneliness Century, How to Restore Human Connection in a World That's Pulling Apart. I have not read this book. Mm-hmm. Sounds like a very interesting topic, though. Well, especially the cuddling and the rent-a-friend. <laughs> super interesting. But she does make a statement at one point um, about that governments need to get involved in this and to promote a reconstruction sort of of infrastructure around rebuilding community. Now, best of luck to this. Like, great, sounds like a good solution, but are, are we expecting that the, the governments of just the West, let's say, are going to get involved at, at no. creating better infrastructure for no, the community. That's like a socialist way of thinking. So, I mean, again, I've told people on this, I'm a libertarian, so big government yeah. sucks. A little government is good. And so government's not going to solve that problem. <laughs> I will say this, though, Ben. Pretty firm about that. Like, I, got, I got an opinion. Might, might make some people angry. Yeah, that's okay. You don't have to agree with me. It's just my perspective. Right. I, I don't look to government to solve that problem. But I do think this... Um, so there, you know, historically, there's been a parish mentality to the church in America and uh-huh. even around the world, where actually geographically, you would take sections of the city and your church would, that would be your parish. Mm-hmm. Those would be your people. You look after those people. And and there is like this dismantling of the church in America where, and, and um, COVID made it even worse, dispersed everybody. But those pockets of communities of gathering, Mm -hmm. that was the community center, was the church. So people would really gather and experience deeper connection and find community in their church. But now that churches are getting harder to find or falling apart and people are feeling disconnected to them, um, those parishes, that parish mentality is disappearing. So people are kind of, the only people they know are their neighbors and their coworkers if they have a job. If they even know a neighbor. If they even know their neighbor. Now what they do is go in the garage and shut the garage. Some neighbors don't talk to their neighbors. So you have no community, no place, no third place. I know Starbucks has been trying to be the third place. Like we're going to create a coffee house. It'll be the third place people can go, but they don't. You know what happens at Starbucks? Meetings. (laughs) That's true. That's all you go in there. It's meetings. Meetings or hanging out and talking with a friend. That's it. Yeah, that's pretty much it. But But it's a lot of meetings or working. Right. People who want to get out of their house who work remote and they just want to go sit somewhere else. So they go to Starbucks and open their laptop and put their earbuds in. It's not a community gathering place. It's not a third place. So the church in America had been that place. And so I wonder if... That's one of the functions of society that we're missing is a parish mentality that we're connected to other people in our community. We know our neighbors and we gather together once a week. Like, I feel like maybe that's another contributing factor and why we look to government. I don't know how government's going to solve that. They can make people get together, like like mandatory potlucks in every neighborhood in America. I don't see that happening, <laughs> <laughs> nor do I want to go. What would they serve? 
food. Well, it depends on where you'd be, I guess. <laughs> I guess it depends. Here it'd be elk and bear. Jello and pudding <laughs> and casseroles. Yes. Well, so here's another thing I think that's been lost in all of this is just an overall responsibility that we feel as individuals for the well-being of those around us, just in general as community. Right. So example, we were having dinner the other night around the dinner table as a family. Imagine that. Like another thing that doesn't You still happen. do that, Ben? Well, we make a practice of it because mm-hmm. it's important. Right. I think it it pushes toward one of the things that internally in homes mm-hmm. and families can start to help this is to meaningfully connect just in your family itself. Start right? in your home, start and with dinner. Dinner right? does that. Yeah. Um, we were talking about my wife's grandmother who just recently passed away at, I believe she was 97, and how one point when she was younger, she rode a train from Buffalo, New York, into Canada to like the family's uh, lake house. And it was a pretty long train ride at 14 years old. She was put on this train by herself. Now, Not today. I, yeah, that wow. one, that would never happen today. Right. But two, I think back then, what would have the mentality have been of the other people sitting around her on the train when she was put on the train at 14? They probably looked after her. They would all. Like their own daughter. Like, You're going to be safe. We yeah. will take care of you. Yeah. Right? Like yeah. the responsibility that people felt to care for others mm. uh, who were younger or whatever, mm. knowing that she's going to be alone. And for her to not have to feel so alone while she's traveling. Yeah. And and just having that sense of responsibility. The way culture has changed has even undermined that sense of responsibility being allowed to show up in a person. Yeah. It's like if you tried to set out to do anything meaningful or good for somebody else who might be in a condition like that, it's like you could get sued. Yeah. <laughs> you could like... They might think you're a creep or you're weird. You or know, they're like, framing you. Yeah. There's just weird stuff now. That you, yeah. You're always having to question yep. what's appropriate and good and what are good motives. We mm. have just lived inside a culture of fear for so long mm. that it's difficult sometimes to know what to do. We also, I've noticed a shift where um, we've gone from a society that hugged, shook hands, yeah, you know, shouldered each other. I mean walk together. I mean, now there's like a weirdness now, like you're not allowed to invade people's private space, touching like, like really it's awkward. Like how do you touch (laughs) each other and can you touch and are you going to spread a disease and are you going to offend somebody? So there's a lot of factors contributing to a a greater sense of isolation Mm -hmm. um, that include even the lack of physical touch. Yeah. There's a lot of scientific research out there about what happens to people when they're not touched. Yeah. Babies who aren't held develop radical attachment disorders where they Mm -hmm. can't even deal with other human beings because they didn't get what they needed when they were babies. There are medical patients that just need like a stroking of their hair or a hand to be held that... You have to ask the question, do they even get that now? Are they allowed to have that anymore? So there's a lot that's contributing to this deep, deep sense of isolation. I'm not talked to. I'm not touched. I'm not thought of. And and we've learned to like live this way. But it's not serving society. It's not serving humanity. And we are doing very badly as a people because of this. And so we will transition mm-hmm. to if we as growth junkies want to live with less fear, be more loving, Mm -hmm. how do we do that? And what is the mechanism or condition Mm -hmm. by way of of being able to make that happen? We have to first learn how to reconnect. Mm -hmm. 
or, or take connections seriously. You know, for, for us, you and I sitting here, it's like it's not a conversation we need to have. I mean, it is embedded in what we do as people is mm-hmm. to connect with others because right. we know how valuable it is. But for someone who might be out there who struggles with loneliness or feels lonely a lot, you have to begin to rethink your framework on connecting with people. Yeah, and connecting requires work. It take it takes risk. It also means going first. If you want to connect with somebody or reconnect with somebody, you got to open up. You got to take the risk and and I know it's scary, but you got to offer something. Like I've said before, you got to be a friend to have a friend. So a lot of people sit around waiting for people to come into their world to rescue them and that's called the passive rescue wish. Mm-hmm. You're going to sit by and hope you're going to rescue me. No one's going to do that. You got to invite them in. So here's the thing, you got to make effort. Mm-hmm. You've got to look for the person around you and say, hey, I want to get to know that person. I'm going to give it a chance. It may be a connect. It may not be a connect. And if not, I'll move on to the next one. But you've got to find people. And if we insert the uh, definition of love that we use on a regular basis, love is to know, want, and do what's in the best interest of another person. Mm-hmm. And we use that as the as the frame for reconnecting with others. So basically mm-hmm. saying, I have a deep concern for well-being of other people Mm -hmm. and that is going to drive ultimately love is going to drive my connection with folks Mm -hmm. then that is a great thing it's a concern for their well-being and and to to want to look after others and and to care for others and to be in relationship Mm -hmm. with them it's not love as like this romantic thing that we're talking about it's it's purely uh seeking common good and goodwill and and care and concern for other people so that there's connection that can take place. It very much is the kind of uh, community mentality that I would say under underscored what it was like for me to grow up in Western Pennsylvania as a kid and sitting on porches with my grandparents and neighbors coming by and there was always interaction happening mm. and people showing up and dropping things off and, um, oh, hey, here's the pie I told you I would make you, you know, seven days ago or whatever it was. and. And there was just this regular interaction in community that happened not just in the neighborhoods, but at mm-hmm. local establishments and grocery stores. It didn't really matter where you were. The yeah. communities were much more close, closely knitted together. And so that reconnection, I think, starts with our understanding of love. And when we have a deep concern for the well-being of others around us and, and as love driving that factor, we will re- reconnect easier And that love will displace fear and it will displace loneliness, just like light displaces darkness. Yeah, I love that. I was just thinking as you were talking about um, the world back then probably was perceived as a bit safer. And now we live in a very unsafe world. Well, and in actuality, it was more unsafe. It was, but the perception was that you could leave your doors unlocked and everybody knew each other and nothing bad could really happen. And of course that stuff did happen, but the perception of the world, it seems to me was safer. So therefore you can open up and know your neighbors. You can sort of enter in and not be afraid, but fear, which is the essence of the problem in this book that we're talking about, it keeps us from taking risks. So here's the thing, in a world that is perceived to be unsafe or not as safe as perhaps it used to be, whether it is or isn't, you got to be willing to step out and say, you know what, I'm going to take a risk here and I'm going to talk to my neighbor. I'm going to invite a coworker to lunch. I'm going to try to make a friend, you know, down the street. I'm going to reach out to a a kid in the desk across from me at school. Like I'm going to do something because I need this. And guess what? They need it too. And what's so interesting about what you brought up related to communities as I'm thinking back is it was actually odd for someone to not be engaged in the neighborhood. 
you'd be like, what's with those people? They never yeah, come out. They were always, they kind of always stood out as right. being, because when you know people, it forms trust and mm-hmm. you, you know who you can trust and you mm-hmm. do that together. Right. They always stood out as odd if they didn't engage. Like the people down on the corner, we don't even know who they are. They don't connect. There's no engagement. Mm-hmm. They're, they, they just live in that house. Keep to themselves. And there was suspicion that came with that. Yeah. And that's something. Now it's the opposite. You're almost suspicious if somebody's too friendly. Isn't that so interesting? Yeah. Like, what, what, why are they so like annoying? Yeah, why did they bring me something to my door? Is it yeah. poisoned? Can I actually eat it? Oh, you know, all the doors now, it's like no soliciting. You know what I mean? Stay away <laughs> from my door. And we have a funny thing on our door. It says like, you know, no soliciting unless you have Girl Scout cookies. <laughs> In that case, come onto the door. Yeah. So it's there. There's a different mentality today that we have to be able to step beyond and say it is important enough to connect with my neighbors, connect with coworkers, connect with other students, connect with friends, that I'm willing to take the risk to do something uncomfortable and maybe even a little bit unsafe to try and connect because it's that important. And one of the truths about that period in time that I was referencing is that people knew one another, but no one was alike per se. I mean, they right. maybe had things in common, but there was certainly differences. When you put enough people together in a room or in a neighborhood, there's going to be differences among people. If they're honest about it, and, sure. And I think what has happened is, as as we have been encouraged more and more toward diversity, inclusion, and all of these things via a lot of disagreement. Let's be honest about how these things have been encouraged. They've been encouraged in the in the frame of divisiveness, like yeah. or in um, not that that's what's being used, but there's just is so much disagreement and divisiveness out there. Where back then there wasn't as much, and it's formed a distrust. Yeah. So it's hard to know who you can trust yep. and who you can be in relationship with. So it's easy to gravitate toward people we agree with mm-hmm. and to connect with people we agree with. Yeah. But if we really want to go the distance, we have to work toward unifying with people that we don't necessarily agree with. And that is the second thing. Correct about how we can sort of deal with the isolation and loneliness that we're facing is choosing unified despite differences. We hear the phrase unity and diversity, but we don't often mean it. And I don't know about you, Ben, but in this world, what I see a lot of is this kind of prevalent belief that like for us to be friends, we got to agree on everything. <laughs> and if you disagree with me on anything, we can't associate. Right. I don't know where that is or where that comes from, but it used to be back in the day the word tolerance. Tolerance was the ability to disagree with somebody and still accept them still be in relationship. Now what it means, tolerance actually means the opposite. It means you have to agree with me. For you to tolerate me means you have to agree with everything I believe. So I was watching James Corden last night late and he had Bill Clinton on. And now people got opinions all over the map about Bill Clinton. Sure. And and yet the one thing the guy does well is he he is a very engaging and charismatic communicator. Oh, he is, definitely. Um, whether he means it or not is another right. thing. But he was talking about literally this condition last night. He was saying that we we have to come to a place where we can start to talk about things again and have differences yeah. and disagree and not have it be a war. Yeah. And not have it be so divisive. And not hate each other and divide. And, and it's hard because that's been bred and sold to us in culture for so long. It makes it very difficult. So yeah. the reason we're bringing this up is to, to move toward unity means – can I start to have conversations with and agreements and actually like people that I don't agree with? Yeah. And that's one of the things that we challenge you to. Like it's, you know, are you willing to love someone you don't like? Are you willing to love a group of people you disagree with? Mm-hmm. You know, we're calling all of us to embrace different personalities, experiences, and backgrounds. 
Relationships with people who are unlike you are necessary for growth, and they're they're necessary for, I think, flourishing community. Yeah. To it, it makes conversations really intriguing and meaningful when you're talking about different ideas from a place of uh, goodness and a desire to understand. It can be very intriguing to hear people's different perspectives versus fighting all the time. Yeah, we we kind of have this mentality of always looking for the things we disagree on. Like I, I'm looking for the things we don't we don't share in common. But what we talk about in the book here is actually about looking for the things you do agree on. And one of those things can be like love. Love is this driving force. And if you're committed to that, guess what? That transcends all kinds of other differences. So like, for example, even in like the church, you know, there's this thing in Revelation about how heaven's going to look with like every mm. tribe, every mm-hmm. culture, every nation, every tongue. Yeah. All these different people who look different, different skin color, different culture, different language, but they all have something in common. And in that case, it's the worshiping Jesus. And so that's, you need a commonality to transcend all the lower differences. So what would it be like to connect with people who don't look like us, act like us, think like us? And what good can that accomplish for you in community and relationship if you started looking outside of your own little narrow stream? And so what has undermined it? One singular condition, in my opinion, has undermined unity and the ability to unify well. And that has been force. Yeah. When people start to force you to try to believe and accept things that you maybe disagree with, Mm -hmm. you're going to back up and not want to unify. Yeah. And... That's on those people. Yeah, unity is voluntary. It cannot be forced. Right. Then it's conformity. Exactly. That's because love cannot be forced. Yeah. And the moment that we stop taking positions and trying to force people to accept things they may not agree with will be the opportunity that we can begin to unify and have community again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's that's a really good one. And third one, and we'll get to the last one here, is is to reach out. I mean, it, it, it's actually to take initiative, to be proactive, not to sit around and wait for things to happen, but to make them happen. So to reach out actually requires you to ask yourself some questions mm-hmm. about what you believe about relationships and what's important to you, and then actually go out and ask some people to come into your life. Um, sometimes you can join like an affinity group, find like, if you like to, like Ben and I love to fly fish. Okay. So, so I think we say that every, we probably do. So if you're a fly fisherman, you're totally legit with us. (laughs) And here's the thing. It doesn't matter where you come from, what language you speak, what you look like, or hasn't, as long as you like to fly fish, we're cool. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. We got something in common. So the ability to actually throw out the net, so to speak, socially to say, Hey, listen, I'm going to find people that have something in common with me. And maybe that commonality is simply a desire to go fly fish, you know, or to go ski or to go hike. Mm-hmm. Or in this case, maybe it's a, just a mutual commitment to be a loving person. Like I, I'm going to find other people that simply uh, want to be a loving person. And how do you find those people? Mm-hmm. Guess what? By looking. Exactly. By actually going out and knocking on doors and talking to people and you discover them. I remember, Ben, there was a season where... I thought there was two kinds of people. There was like the type A's who were really driven and ambitious and sort of ruled the world. And then there was type B's who were quiet, reserved, and they all kept to themselves. Mm -hmm. Like they never crossed over. And I thought, wow, there's only two kinds of people. And then I met a different kind of person finally who actually exhibited all like these characteristics of a type A, like driven, ambitious, articulate, but then also was really empathetic and patient Mm -hmm. and self-aware. And I thought they do exist. (laughs) 
but I wouldn't have known unless I, in my situation, got thrust into a new environment yeah. to find them. Right. Here's the thing. There are people out there. There are other people that share those commonalities with you. And one thing we're doing as an organization is to find, for example, growth junkies and put them together. We're a community of growth junkies because we're all committed to learning and growing, right. specifically in love. Right. And that common commitment that's human to all. Right. And I think yeah. one of the difficulties is we have some ideas about love that are actually trying to be more forced in our society on people yeah. to be accepted than are really what people are willing to do. There's like, no, that's yeah. actually not love. Right. Like, so that's that's a hard thing to have to deal with and to navigate. Um, so what we're looking for is a community of people that want to unify mm -hmm. and to find that commonality. And love is that commonality. It's something that all humans long for and desire, just like connection. So the remedy to loneliness and this epidemic of loneliness is to reconnect. I don't think it's going to happen through a loneliness economy. No, it's not. And, and it is the remedy for the disconnection or the isolation we're experiencing. And, 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 and it does require you to take action. Um, it's scary, it's hard, it's intimidating to break out of the rhythms you've always been in, to break out of your comfort zone, so mm -hmm. to speak. And we all know this, you don't grow unless you get out of your comfort zone. So you, the goal is to get into a learning zone and that learning zone is where you meet people. So I, I just, I wanna encourage you, we wanna encourage you yes. as fellow growth junkies, if you're struggling with a deep sense of isolation and loneliness, then make efforts to reconnect, connect or reconnect right. with other people. Make efforts to look past the differences that you hold with other people and find commonalities with others. And if nothing else, find other people that are committed to wanna to be loving people and connect with them. And you might be just surprised what you'd find. That's right. So we hope that you enjoyed this day 12 discussion around loneliness uh, on the growth junkies podcast and we will continue to move through the book mega life until we get to the in the complete end and then you will have great audio content to go with your read uh, as you're working through the book like we mentioned at the beginning if you don't own the book you're uh, welcome to go on amazon and purchase it there and follow along with us and we will just continue to do this to bring you uh, more added content in and around those resources that we've created. We really appreciate you, our listeners, and we look forward to being with you next time. Thank you for listening to the Growth Junkies podcast. Go follow us on Instagram and Facebook to join the community and check out the Four Dimensions book on Amazon or through our website, loveandtransformation.org. We also have a new book coming out soon, so keep an eye out for that. In the meantime, continue growing.